Delighted that you're here this morning. I hope you've got your Bible with you and eager to study with us as we talk about things that have to do with serving God and going to heaven. Peter uses the word precious. That is, the Apostle Peter, in writing in 1 Peter, uses the word precious multiple times. An interesting word. In fact, in chapter 1, in verse 7, he talks about the precious faith. He uses it to describe faith as being precious. Well, same chapter, a little bit later in that chapter, he talks about the precious blood of Christ. So faith can be precious. The blood of Christ can be precious. In chapter 2, we're going to get more attention to in a moment. But at verse 2, verse 6, and in verse 7, he talks about Christ being precious. Faith is precious. The blood of Christ is precious. Christ himself is described by this word precious. Chapter 3, a little bit later, and he talks about the quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. The woman that has this quiet spirit described in the context is very precious, the text says. In 2 Peter 1 and in verse 1, he talks about the precious faith again and precious promises in verse 4. So multiple times he uses this word precious. Let's focus on the precious Christ. So I encourage you to get a Bible. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 4 to 8. We'll spend most of our time there. We'll trace other references as they relate to this context. But I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, the precious Christ. The text says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. I've already mentioned three times in this context, he uses this word precious. At verse 4, Jesus was chosen by God and precious. At verse 3, he was the chief cornerstone elect and precious. And then again at verse 7, he is precious to those who believe. But he's not precious to those who are disobedient. He indeed is the precious Christ. Let's talk about that word precious. That term is used five times in the New Testament. We'll look at all five of those in just a moment. What does it mean that he's precious? I know how we may use the term, but how is it used in the New Testament? How is it used in this context? Strong says that it means dear, more honorable, precious in reputation. All right, that helps us a little bit, but let's go to Vines. Vines says it means to be held in honor. So if he is the precious Christ, he is held in honor. He is to be held in honor because of who he is and what he does. BDAG says this, it means being esteemed of something of considerable worth, valuable. I like BDAG's definition. Being esteemed as something of considerable worth, 
In other words, not just average, but held in high esteem, very valuable, and indeed precious. Englishman's, what is Englishman's? That is a Greek concordance. In other words, we could learn from it where that same original word may be found in other places. Here's the five places. And this is interesting. Let's trace these references quickly. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, or verse, uh, chapter 7, and in verse 2. Here was the centurion's servant that was being healed. We won't take the time to read the whole context. But the centurion had a servant that the text says who was very dear to him. That word dear is the same word as precious. He was, he was held in value. He was held in high esteem. Though he's a servant, his master held him in high esteem. He held him of great value. All right? Let's go to Luke chapter 14. Notice in Luke chapter 14 and in verse 8. Here in this parable, notice at verse 8. And when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. Here's a lesson on humility. Don't, don't go sit in the best seat. And then something thinking you're, you're deserving of the best seat. And here is someone who is held in higher esteem than you. But it's worded here as more honorable. Viewed as greater than you. More honorable is the expression. Go to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2, we're trying to get the concept of what it means that Jesus is precious. In Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 29... Here's a reference to men who were in esteem, those who were held in high esteem, those held in high honor. In esteem is the same word. And then two times it's used right here at verse 4 and at verse 6. So here are the five places where the term is used in the New Testament. And what does it mean? It means to be held in the highest of esteem, something of considerable worth, something of great value, someone of great value, more honorable, dear, held in high esteem. Indeed, Jesus is precious. Three things we're going to consider about the precious Christ. First of all, we're going to raise the question of to whom is he precious? What does this text say? You say, well, he's held by, I consider him as precious, so I'd, I'd be included in that. Let's see if you're found in the text. Let's see if I'm found in that text. In 1 Peter chapter 2. Secondly, why is he considered as precious? And thirdly, what do we do with the precious Christ? What are we doing with that? Now that we know he's the precious Christ, what do you do with him? What are you doing? What should you be doing with him as per this text? And we'll look at that in its context. So if you've gone from 1 Peter chapter 2, I encourage you to go back now to 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning at verse 4. So let's raise this question, to whom is he precious? Who considers him of value? And let's start with this. First of all, God considers him as precious. Look at verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, speaking of Christ, Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Who esteems him as precious, of great value, of highest honor? God himself does. 
He was given a place or held in a place of prominence and preeminence. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 makes this, this point. That he is preeminent, Colossians 1 rather, he is preeminent in all things. That was the revelation of the mind of the Father that revealed to us that he is esteemed above all things. Above all creation, above all mankind. He's equal with God himself. In contrast, verse 4, to being rejected by men. Men have rejected him as being of nothing of value. He's held in esteem. In other words, the father considers him value. So he is considered of value by one whose values count. Think about that for a moment. We may not be impressed so much that this person holds Christ in high esteem, but the Father, the creator of the world, holds Christ in high esteem. He is held in high esteem by the one whose values count. Barnes observes the universe has nothing more valuable on which to rear the spiritual temple. We'll talk about that spiritual temple in its context here in just a moment. This is the reason why he should be considered precious to us is because we need to look to the Father and whatever He considers as precious and of great value, I need to consider of precious and of great value. So who considers Him of great value? Why is He called the precious Christ? Because God views Him as precious. But let's go further in the context at verse, verse 7. At verse 7, who considers Him precious? To whom is He precious? And the answer verse 7 gives is that those who believe and obey. Look at verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So who considers him as precious? Those who believe and those who obey. Now let's understand something in this context at verse 7. The word believe stands for obedience. You say, how do you know that? Let's look at the context. Let's go back to our context of verses 4 to 8. And notice the word believe and the contrast given. Well, this is something we've been learning on Wednesday night. Where you look at the context and you look at a word that may be put in contrast to another word. That helps me better understand that word. So let's see what we find. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 said, And to he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. What do you mean by believe? Well, go to verse 7. To you who believe he is precious. Who considers him to be precious? Those who believe. And you say, well, I believe. I believe. You may not be the one who believes in this context. You say, how do you know? Notice the contrast. But to those who are disobedient. Notice further at verse 8. They being disobedient to the word. Notice the contrast of believing to the disobedient. That tells me the word believe here stands for obedience. Not just acknowledging the Christ, not just believing in the Christ, but I'm obedient to the Christ. That shows that indeed I consider him as being pre precious. The reason why some don't obey and never submit to the gospel of Christ, the reason some don't remain faithful is they don't hold Christ as precious and esteemed and of value. Or they may say, you know what, I believe in Christ. And they may even make the claim, I love the Christ. He is precious to me. But why aren't they submitting their lives in obedience to him? It's because they're not considering him of esteemed value. He is not the most transcendent one in their life. 
Show me someone who has obeyed the gospel, but they don't remain faithful. They're not diligent. They're not faithful. They do not esteem Christ indeed as being precious. This context is stating what our top priority should be. Christ should be the most valued one in our life. He indeed is precious, not being rejected by, by man. Now, one who is not dedicated and not devoted does not honor and does not value Christ. No matter what their claim may be, no matter what they may say about the Christ, they do not honor the Christ if they're not remaining faithful. We're going to see that at verse 4 toward the end of our study. So to whom is he precious? To those who believe and those who obey. Now notice the contrast we've already seen in the context. Here is what men do. Look at verse 4. Mankind generally has rejected the Christ. We saw that in New Testament times. We see it in our own day and time. Men have generally rejected Christ. Look again at verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men. He was not who they thought he would be. That is, when the Messiah come, he didn't look like what they thought the Messiah would look like. He didn't sound like what the Messiah they thought would look like. They, he didn't bring with him what they thought the Messiah would bring. His entrance into the world was not like what they thought. His teaching was not like what they thought, John 6. They rejected him. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who disobedient... The stone which the builders rejected, he has been rejected by men. But God and those who are true believers in the Christ have chosen him. Verse 4, in verse 6 indeed he is elect and he is precious. Now, he is of little or no value to men. That's why they rejected. But on the other side he indeed is precious. Verse 4, verse 6, and verse 7. Now, know to whom he is precious. The text calls him the precious Christ. Why is he called that? To whom does he consider as precious? God considers him that, and those who are obedient to him consider him as that. But let's look at this context again. Staying in 1 Peter chapter 2, why is he considered as precious? Why is he considered as precious? Let's go back to verse 4. Verse 4, because he's living the context talks about building a building. It talks about laying stones and builders building a building. And he uses that to illustrate the building of God. That is God's building. And the stone which Jesus is is called a living stone. Look at verse 4 now with me. Coming to him as to a living stone. In other words, he has real life as opposed to lifeless stones. In a literal building, the builder takes this lifeless stone and he lays the stone and he lays another stone and he lays another stone. Even the chief cornerstone is lifeless. But not in this building. He is a living stone. He's called a living stone because he gives life to those who hear. Now let's leave 1 Peter. We'll come back to that. Let's go to the Gospel of John chapter 5 and look at verse 25. In John 5 and verse 25, he gives life to those who hear. So he's living in that sense. There's more to that, but let's get this point in verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who are dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and they'll have life because of that. Similar thoughts found in John chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. That whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gives life and induces life to us. Both now, John 5, and eternal life, John chapter 3. Here is an affirmation of the resurrection. He lives again. He is a living stone. We're coming to him and we're coming to a living stone. He's alive now. It's an affirmation of the resurrection of Christ. If he's still in the grave, he's a dead stone. But he's a living stone. That's why he's considered as precious. We become living stones likewise when we're joined with him in the same building. Look at verse 5. Why is he considered precious? Because he's a stone that is alive and he makes us alive. Look at verse 5 now. Let's go to 1 Peter. If you've left that, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse 5. You also as living stones, not only is he a living stone, but you also as living stones being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. More about that house in just a moment. But we become living stones when we're joined to that living stone. Why is he precious? Because he's living. Here's another reason he's precious. Because he was chosen by God. Look at verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. What does that mean? Perhaps a couple of things in mind. Predominantly, it's the idea that he's approved of God. Remember God saying at the transfiguration, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. The same thing at his baptism. Matthew chapter 3. But God also chose him to be things and to do things. For example, to be the head of the church. God gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. So why is he precious? Because he was chosen, he was approved of God, but God chose him to be the head of his church. There's something else God chose for him, that he might be the savior of his people. You should call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. God chose him to be the savior. Not only that, God chose him to be the judge of the world. Let's go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and in verse 22, God has given all judgment to the Son. God has given all judgment to the Son. And God has appointed, Acts 17, 30 and 31, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, Whereof he's given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. So he was chosen by God. That's why he's precious. Let's go back to our context. If you've left 1 Peter chapter 2. And go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 5. Our sacrifices that we offer unto God are acceptable through Christ. Look at verse 5. You also as living stones being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Now notice the connotation. We are not only a house, but we're pictured as a priesthood. That makes us priest. We're coming to Christ, and when we come to Christ, that makes us priest. We're a holy priesthood. What do priests do? They offer up sacrifices. Read further at verse 5. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now notice the rest of the phrase. Through Jesus Christ. In other words, he is our high priest. He is the agent through whom our sacrifice is offered unto God. 
He is the one through whom we are accepted. He is our mediator that pleads our cause. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. He is the only way between God and man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So why is he so precious? He's considered precious because he's alive, because he was chosen by God, because our sacrifices are acceptable through him and only through him. So if we could take Christ and remove him from the picture and just get rid of him, our, our sacrifices would never be acceptable unto God. God would never approve of us or our sacrifices. That makes him precious. But that's not all. Let's go to verses 6 and 7. He's precious because he is the chief cornerstone. Now let's go back to verse 6. This is also contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Elect precious. Being the chief cornerstone, that makes him elect and that makes him precious. Those who believe in him will by no means be put to shame. Verse 7, to those who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. All right, what am I learning from that? The chief cornerstone is the beginning stone. And laying the stone, the first stone to be laid at the corner was the beginning stone, but not only that, it's the main foundation stone. What do you mean the main foundation stone? From it, all others are measured when they're laid. Whether this stone is right is based upon how it relates to that cornerstone. And the next one laid is not how it relates to the one next to it, but how it relates to the cornerstone. It's the main stone. It's the most important stone. And it unites... <clears throat> The two walls together. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Now this is interesting. When there was a difference <clears throat> through the Old Testament between Jew and Gentile. They are distinct. They are separate. And God unites two walls together in a building. Through that cornerstone. Let's start at verse 18. Speaking of that context of Jew-Gentile relationship, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. There's our concept. In whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple of God, in whom also you're being built for a dwelling place of the God in the Spirit. What's he saying? Here is Jew and here is Gentile. There were enemies. They were at variance, but they're united and made together and joined together as if they were one wall. Joining two walls together, and the thing they have in common is that cornerstone. That indeed is why he is precious. But let's go back to our context. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you've left that, and look at verse 5. He is precious because of the honor of being in the same building with him. What do you mean in the same building with him? It's an honor to be in the same wall as that chief cornerstone. Look at verse 5. You also as living stones. He is a living stone, but you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Here's part of the honor. To get a visual of that picture of building where here Christ is the chief cornerstone and every other stone represents you and me and every other person that's a child of God. You think of the honor of being in the same wall, that you're one of these Christians that's in the same wall as that chief cornerstone, that you get to be in the same building with him. I get to be one of the stones in the building where he's the chief cornerstone. That makes him precious. 
Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's back up one chapter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's back up to chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Here's another thing that makes him precious. He shed his blood, which was precious for us. What makes him so precious and so endeared? Look at verse 18. Knowing this, that you're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, which we think of as precious, by the way, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So I know who considers him precious. God does. And those who are obedient to him consider him as precious. But why is he considered precious? For the following reason. He's living. He's alive. He's a living stone. He was chosen by God. Our sacrifices are acceptable through him. He's the chief cornerstone. The honor of being in the same building with that chief cornerstone, and he shed his precious blood for us. Thirdly and finally, let's raise this question about the precious Christ. What do we do with the precious Christ? What are you doing with the precious Christ? Is this just an exercise of looking at a text and saying, okay, I understand the text says he's precious, and so we've learned he's precious. And I learned what precious means, and let's go home. Or is it an exercise of now what do we do with the Christ? What are you doing with the precious Christ? What if someone asks you, what are you doing with Christ? What would your answer be? Are you coming to him? You say, oh yeah. Really? You coming to him? Let's go back to verse 4 of our text. That's 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 4. This context only presents two options of what you're doing with Christ. It's not like multiple choice where you have five choices and let me see which one I want to choose. Any of them's good and I'm not sure which one's going to better fit my lifestyle. I think I'll take A or maybe B or maybe C. I think C would be good for me. We don't have those options. You have two options here. One's good and the other one's bad. Here's the first. What are you doing with the Christ? We should be continually coming to Christ. Look at verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, chosen by God and precious. Look again, verse 4. Coming to him. It is the idea as of continually coming to him. It is not an idea of you come to Christ, I did, I gave my life to him, I dedicated to him years ago, years ago I, I was baptized, I gave my life to the Lord. That's not what this text talks about. In fact, there's not a text that talks about that. It's not the idea that I came to the Lord at one point and now my ticket's punched and everything's good. So I did come to the Lord. You're talking about coming to the Lord, I did. Now the question is, are you coming to the Lord still? Marshall translates that approaching the living stone. Are you approaching the living stone? Williams translates it, keep on coming to him. Are you still coming to him? The way in which you live, the way you conduct yourself, the things you do on a daily basis, are you continually coming to him? Say, I'm coming to him now. And I did it yesterday. And I'm doing it today and tomorrow and the next day. 
Thayer says the word translated coming to him means to attach oneself to Christ, to come to a participation in the benefits procured by him. Is that what you're doing? What are you doing with the precious Christ? Are you attaching yourself to Christ? Are you continually attaching yourself to Christ? Vincent makes this point. Vincent says, indicating a close and habitual approach and an intimate association. Do you not only come to Christ, but you come very close to Christ? That not only do you come to Him, but there's a habitual relationship with Him. You have a very close relationship with the Lord. I quote from B. Dag a lot because I like the way he words things. He says, this is not a commentator, it's a lexicographer. Bedak says it means to move towards. I like that. Coming to Christ means you move toward Christ. Are you moving toward Christ? It's a good question, isn't it? What's going on in your life that you say, here is the evidence I'm moving toward Christ? You say, well, I moved, I baptized. That's not the question. What's, what's the evidence you're moving toward Him now? What are you doing tomorrow? What did you, you do yesterday? What did you do on Friday? What did you do on Thursday? What did you do on Wednesday? What did you do last week? What do you plan to do this afternoon? What do you plan to do tonight? What do you plan to do in your life that shows you're moving toward Christ, continually moving toward Him? Not that you one time did, but you're continually moving toward Him. Are you reading your Bible? You reading it on a regular basis? Studying it daily. You say, well, I really hadn't looked at that in a long time. But I tell you what, I came to Christ, though. Are you coming to Him continually? What about praying? Do you pray fervently and on a regular basis? You say, well, I, I, I do pray sometimes. I didn't ask you for But are you continually coming to Christ in prayer? Are you doing that? What about your dedication? And just attendance. So why come to Christ? I didn't ask where you were baptized. That's not the question. The question is, are you continually coming to Christ? Can you show by your attendance? And Well, I come a, a good bit. I come a good bit. I come occasionally. Is that the idea of continually moving toward Him? What about in your personal godliness? What about in your personal godliness, living pure in the things you say, and the things you look at, and the places you go, the people you associate with? Can you say, I'm continually coming to Christ? Now let's go further in the context. Here's the other option. What are you doing with the precious Christ? You're either continually coming, and if not, then you become, he becomes a stumbling block. Now you may become a stumbling block, but this is talking about he being a stumbling block that we fall over. If you don't consider him as precious, and you do that by continually coming to him, then he becomes a stumbling block that we fall over. Let's go to verses 7 and 8. Back to 1 Peter 2, if you've left there. Let's go to verse 7. Therefore, to those who believe, we've already defined that as per the context, those who are obedient, who, in verse 4, are continually coming to him. 
To you who believe he's precious, but to those who are disobedient. That's your only other option in this context. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. But not only did it become a chief cornerstone, it became a stone of a stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word which they were, to which they were also appointed. It's a picture of a builder. He rejects that stone as not being fit. And he rejects that stone as not being fit. Here's the one he wants. And then he rejects another. And as he throws the stone aside, it becomes the very occasion for him to fall over it and he stumbles. We only have two choices in this context. You either continually come to Christ or you're stumbling over him and you're falling. The very thing you reject is the occasion for your falling. That's the idea. What are you doing with the precious Christ? Christ indeed is precious. The text says so. Who considers him precious? Well, God does. And those who are obedient consider him as precious. Why is he considered precious? Well, a number of reasons we gave in the context. And what are you doing with the precious Christ? You're either continually coming to him or he's the occasion for your falling. It's the only two choices in this context. There is no other choice. What are you doing with the precious Christ? Would you come this morning believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, we hope and trust that you come while together we stand and while we sing.